Today, we need the correct mix of voices, ambition, and action. The rapidly changing climate is sounding an alarm to the world to step up on adaptation, to address loss and damage, and to act now. Uh, we've signed a climate convention. We've asked others to join us. Most of the observed increase in temperatures is very likely due to the observed increase in anthropogenic GHG concentrations. Our world, my friends, stands at a fork in the road. And if we act now, and we act together, we can protect our precious planet. Welcome to the Energy Policy Now podcast from the Kleinman Center for Energy Policy at the University of Pennsylvania, and to this special series on COP27, which is underway in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. Over the two weeks of COP, I'm holding short conversations with experts from the University of Pennsylvania on a number of priority issues that are being discussed at this year's Global Climate Change Conference. Today, I'm talking with Stephen Finn, who teaches in the Organizational Dynamics Program at the University of Pennsylvania. Steve's work focuses on reducing food waste, which is a major source of global warming gases and a factor in food insecurity. We'll be talking about discussions relating to food security at this year's COP. Steve, welcome to the podcast and welcome back from COP. You too. Thanks, Andy. I hope you fared better than I have in regards to jet lag on the the return trip. I'm still feeling it a little bit uh, as well. Yeah, it was easy going over. It's a little tougher coming back. I wonder if we could start out here. We're going to be talking a lot about food, food waste, food security. But I wonder if you could start us out by talking about your role at Penn and the work focus that brought you to COP. Sure. Uh, As you noted, I am affiliated faculty in organizational dynamics, which is within the uh, LPS uh, school at Penn. We focus on topics in organizational culture, leadership, innovation, and change really geared toward helping individuals evaluate and navigate the complexities of the global workplace um, with an eye toward improving workplace dynamics and driving positive change. Uh, And in my mind, there's no more important change effort for organizations than incorporating sustainability into strategy and workplace culture. So that's what drives me. Uh, I develop and teach courses within our sustainability concentration under a broad frame of innovation for sustainability. Uh, my personal and research focus is in food systems, so specifically around the challenge of how we will solve feeding 10 billion citizens in a sustainable manner within planetary boundaries by 2050. Uh, and within that, I focus on food loss and waste reduction and the linkage between food waste and the sustainable development goals. So I teach courses on the food water energy nexus, on water security, sustainable cities, and fundamentals of sustainability kind of all with an emphasis on collaborating for sustainability as well. We even run one of them as a summer course in Italy with key partners there. So uh, on my research side, I collaborate with colleagues on papers and topics related to food waste. And I also maintain a blog called Food for Thoughtful Action, which has monthly posts on food system issues and and really is a resource for my students. So uh, one last thing, I also serve as VP of Sustainability and Public Affairs for LeanPath, which is a technology solutions provider, uh, helping food service providers uh, prevent the occurrence of food waste in their operations through measurement, data analytics, and behavior change. What stands out about your week at COP in relation to this whole uh, food ecosystem that you're, you're interested in? 
it was really great to to be there uh, because this was the first COP where food was uh, on the agenda, if you will. Um, that has not been the case in prior COPs. Um, it was sort of in the surface last year, kind of uh, on the edges, but um, not distinctly uh, on the agenda, if you will. And so this year, one of the one of the reasons that I really wanted to be there was uh, to uh, knowing that food was on the agenda and that there would be a food systems pavilion um, housing a lot of these topics. Uh, I was excited to be there and to be a part of that. So you mentioned transforming the food system. What are some of the factors that are involved in that? Yeah, so many uh, to uh, to deal with. I, I've been developing, evolving a lot of themes uh, in this uh, of late. Um, one of the first things I think we need to do is really recognize the opportunity to advance sustainable development in a massive way by transforming the food system and by leveraging the nexus aspect of food, the fact that we can reduce waste, for example, and activate this multiplier effect where we drive progress toward other goals as well. Um, and I think that we really need to embrace that opportunity. We have a, a real choice here. We can act, uh, we can save our planet, or we can fail to act and leave the consequences to our youth and future generations. Uh, I also think we need to understand and embrace the current reality, right? We're currently at an inflection point in the food system. We are all seeing the impact of climate change and an inequitable food system at this point. You know, the IPCC continues to show the pathway we were on, noting that climate change will continue to put pressure on food production and access and will further threaten food security and global nutrition. So. It's really clear that we need to act. Uh, every fraction of a degree matters, and there's real urgency here. And we need to envision a new future, right? One where we can provide sufficient healthy food for all global citizens by 2050, and again, within planetary capacity. Uh, in other words, achieving the healthy people, healthy planet balance. In the conversation that we had, uh, you and I had in Sharm el-Sheikh, you pulled out some pretty stunning statistics that I was not aware of, of just how much food gets wasted. We talked about food waste being a big problem, but give us some of those numbers. How, how bad is the problem really? Yeah, this is really, uh, food waste is really an issue of a considerable scale, right? Um, we are waste, losing and wasting anywhere between uh, one third and one half of global food production annually. So that is a pretty staggering amount. Um, anywhere it's estimated to be um, at about 2.5 billion tons uh, of production uh, going to waste annually. Um, that has a considerable effect on the environment, of course, uh, and is a missed opportunity to feed people. Um, the food system is estimated to account for just over uh, a third of global GHGs, and hence the you know obvious reason for uh, food to be on the agenda at COP today. And if, if you're wasting 30 to 50 percent of food, then obviously food waste is on the agenda too. And uh, WWF has recently estimated that um, you know food loss and waste alone uh, accounts for 10 percent of emissions. And there is an off-reported um, statistic from um, UNFAO that uh, really captures the attention of a lot of people, which is the fact that if you were to rank food waste um, as a country, it would be the third largest emitter of global greenhouse emissions uh, behind the U.S. and China. So from an emission standpoint, really clear that um, uh, you know there is a clear connection between food and climate and that food uh, deserves to be on the agenda at COP. And I'm 
I was glad to say there was. And um, also clearly from a, uh, you know, from a, a hunger issue, uh, we should be talking about uh, food in this stage as well. Um, you know, we are uh, experiencing over 800 million people um, in a state of food insecurity today, all while we while we are wasting over 2 billion uh, tons of food annually. And so that is just such a massive disconnect. We, we really need to question that and, uh, and, and fix it. And it's the implication here that if that food weren't wasted, it could be sent to areas that need it? Or is there something inherent about the food system itself uh, where the, the, the food is just not getting to people that it needs to get to because of the waste that's inherent and I guess the, the whole kind of food value chain? Yeah, we have this cycle of overproduction uh, and waste right now, particularly in a developed world. So um, because we are wasting so much food due to this culture of abundance that we have related to uh, to food, um, we that in turn goes back up and leads to excessive production, right? So we have this cycle of producing more food than we need, uh, routing it through our system, uh, you know, eating some but wasting a lot of it, and then sending the balance to landfill, right, where it um, decomposes and contributes methane gas, which is an extremely harmful gas to emissions. So if we can prevent um, a, poor, a significant portion of that uh, food that is currently going to waste, we can uh, achieve great environmental impact from the emission standpoint, but also, and this is uh, an aspect that doesn't get enough attention, I think, but we can also um, free up uh, societal resources to then, uh, and human capital, to then address the root causes of, of hunger and the root causes of poverty and these other uh, you know, linked issues. And that's a really important thing and, and an aspect that I don't think gets enough attention in this space. There's the other part of that is, um, obviously the redistribution aspect, right? So you have, uh, you know, there's a substantial amount of food that we have today that could be efficiently uh, redistributed to those in need. And we all know of many agencies in the developing world that are, that are doing that. Um, and, you know, when we, uh, we, we should seek to obviously um, route as much edible food uh, and, and I'll also add healthy edible food to uh, those in need as we sh- as we can, and if we can't do that, then of course there's a hierarchy of approaches that we can take. To you know, we can route some of that food to to animal feed, for example, to pr- you know to produce other uh, food products for us, or we can send it down lesser paths of uh, uh, of environmental harm, like composting or or digestion. Now, I understand that you made a pledge while at COP uh, relating to food waste reduction. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I, that was really a fun part of the trip too. And for for a quick background, the overriding frame for global food loss and waste reduction today falls under Sustainable Development Goal 12, which is on responsible consumption and production. And under that goal is Target 12.3, which calls for cutting food waste in half by 2030 and reducing food losses along supply chains. And that target was enacted in 2015, uh, and now here we are in 2022. We're about three years into the what's called the decade of action for progress against the sustainable development goals. But in terms of food loss and waste reduction, the world is, is well off track. So we had great momentum on the awareness side in food waste uh, from 2010 to 2020. And I kind of refer to that as the decade of awareness raising. But the pandemic, um, you know, while underscoring the many frailties of our food system, really set us back. We were set to you know, enter 2020 really in, in this action phase. 
to reduce food waste around the world. And there's a really perplexing aspect to this sector that I often find. You know, I, I speak about all of the global drivers being behind food waste reduction. I think I mentioned this to you and Sharm. Um, it reduces financial costs, it reduces environmental impact, and it frees resources to address other societal uh, problems. And there's this nexus issue of food waste um, that's really critical to note, right? If you prevent the occurrence of food waste, you reduce emissions, you reduce water usage, you reduce your impact on soils, you cut plastics pollution, uh, you reduce pressure on forests and, and biodiversity loss, um, and I could go on. So, and, and again, you free resources and human capital to uh, address core issues of hunger and poverty and such. Um, but we're not moving fast enough, right? We need more governments to step up and implement national strategies for food waste reduction. And we especially need business leaders across the food sector to step up and make bold, authentic commitments to cutting food waste in operations. And, and that's what the 123 Food Loss and Waste Pledge for Climate Action is about. It's about accelerating action, spurring organizations, governments, and individuals to make bold, measurement-focused commitments to cutting their food waste by 25%, in this case, by 2025. And importantly, to report on their, their progress annually with transparency. And that, that reporting piece is big and something that I, that I speak about often because it, it puts teeth to the commitments, right? Um, as many people would say, it, 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 uh, it makes you think about greenwashing, you know, if you have to report on it. So I was really happy to make a pledge to educate hundreds of citizens on the scope and scale of the food waste challenge through my courses, through my blog, through my web webinars and uh, by 2025. So I will report on that going forward and, and keep track of, uh, of the impact there. I also made a pledge on behalf of LeanPath, my company, where we committed to work with client partners to prevent an amount of food waste equivalent to 50 million pounds by 2025. So um, excited about the pledge, excited to see um, how it does what it is intended to do, which is to, to spur action and to get people to step up. Going from that point, I want to go back to what we're talking about, uh, you know, some, some key steps to reduce food waste. You started to talk about that, but can you go a little bit deeper on that issue? Yeah, I think getting back to that issue of broad culture change, right? We have this culture of abundance toward food here in the U.S. and in the developed world, right? Um, when it comes to food, size really matters to us, right? We expect large portion sizes. We equate value with size. Um, we also expect perfection, right? Blemish-free, perfectly uniform fruits and vegetables. Uh, we expect a tremendous variety on a 24-7 basis. Um, so food is really ubiquitous to us, right? It surrounds us, and it's also relatively expensive. And so if you couple that with our purchasing mindset, right? We fill up big refrigerators and big pantries, um, we're confused by date labels and the fact that we have cheap disposal and easy disposal. You have all the drivers for this culture of, of food waste, right? And hence, we waste about 40% of our food here in the U.S. So at core, I think it's really important that we recognize we're, we're disconnected from our food like never before, right? We've lost touch with how it's grown. We don't understand what's involved with bringing it to our plates. And we've normalized behaviors related to uh, excessive waste. Um, and this fuels that cycle that I was talking about of overproduction and excessive waste. So we need to engineer this broad culture shift, right, to where we're denormalizing food wasting behavior and we're normalizing food waste reduction behavior. And it, it, it's really essential. There's nothing sustainable about a system in which we're losing or wasting 40 percent of production, for example. Um, I mentioned before, we're, we're exceeding our planetary boundaries now and we're failing to successfully feed over 800 million people. Uh, today, right? And as you noted, we're, we've just passed 8 billion. 
we're on our way to 10, 10 billion in, tw- in 20 years. So we have a challenge to provide nutrition food, nutritious food for 2 billion more. And, and we need to do that within planetary boundaries. So we have this an enormous challenge ahead. And, and really, I think so much starts with changing this culture of excessive waste in our in our developed world. So, you know, many things to do here. Governments, you know, enacting national strategies and plans for food waste reduction with the goal of cutting food waste in half by 2030. And, and really important that they back that with measurement and transparent uh, reporting because, you know, we can't manage uh, without measurement, right? So obviously all this was being discussed at COP. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were some of the key takeaways you took from the conference uh, on food issues? Yeah, so many, and uh, they, they keep coming. Um, for one, I, I think it was it was really pivotal that food is on the agenda at COP, uh, as it should be, as we talked about food central, critical to everything that we do. Uh, and the food system accounts for such a large chunk of uh, global greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so if we're talking about mitigating climate change, we have to talk about food, right? And by extension, if we're wasting so much of it, we need to talk about food waste as well. So I was thrilled that this COP had a really busy food systems pavilion, you know, covering many topics that are central to transforming the food system, you know, nutrition, soil health, waste, resilience, climate smart agriculture, and on and on. Um, I was also struck by the action focus of this COP. I'm interested if you felt that too, Andy. Um, You know, you really felt a pulse. I, I thought there was an undercurrent of energy for action throughout the COP. And I think, to me, I think that it stems from the fact that people increasingly get the urgency, you know, in part because of this continued stream of such great research from groups like the IPCC, um, but also because of the sheer visibility of the impacts of climate change, right? We're all seeing the impacts in myriad ways, right? Fires, floods, drought, rising hunger, migration. You know, we're seeing the toll. Um, we're, you know, we're hearing great messaging, important messaging from the UN, as Secretary Guterres noted. You know, we're on the highway to hell and we can only change that through, a- through action. Um, and, you know, along with action, I think the collaboration imperative, um, you know, the sheer enormity of the climate challenge is clear. So I really liked the together for implementation hashtag uh, behind the event um, because, you know, this, this challenge really requires all nations to come together. There's no doubt about that. Um, and yet right now we have, you know, so many global forces that are, you know, driving the opposite, right? You know, climate change, fueling hunger and mass migration, but in turn, and in turn, fueling nationalism and this us versus them mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine uh, even involves the weaponization of food, right? And so, you know, we're at this point where after years of decline, we're seeing the global hunger numbers increasing. And, you know, when you consider all of the technology and the connectivity gains of recent decades, yeah, that's really nonsensical, right? Why, why would we accept that, right? So I, we need to recognize all these connections that we saw in, in COP, you know, and uh, this rise in nationalism that's blocking the needed collaboration to address climate change and food insecurity and all of the SDGs. Um, as a result, it's really destabilizing global security. And we need to flip that because, you know, climate change will only create more social societal disruptions. Um, there's really colossal opportunity here, I think, to, you know, by collaborating to address climate change and food insecurity, you know, nations can really come together and create a more secure world. And, uh, you know, I always come back to who wouldn't want that, right? Um, you know, another takeaway, which you probably saw, was the power of, uh, of stories. I think um, this COP was billed as the Africa COP with a lot of attention to 
the responsibility of the developed world to enable a just transition for Africa and the less developed countries. And, you know, when you walked around, you really saw considering uh, considerable messaging on that, which I thought was great. Um, you know, again, yeah, that's, that, I want to yeah. say that's, that's where I feel like personally, I learned the most from this cop, right? You know, I deal so much in policy and, and talk about that kind of this big top down perspective, but really in so many ways, learning what local communities were doing and the perspectives. I mean, that was, that was, you know, really rewarding for me to hear all that from this cop. Yeah. And, and the power of youth, right. To see, you know, that strong youth presence uh, at this cop, you know, as it should be right. Because today's youth and their children are going to inherit this plant, uh, this uh, planet. So we need, we need them involved in the, in the decision-making, right. They have a, a much more vested interest than, uh, than I do at this point being further along in age. And, you know, I, I'll add one more thing here. The, um, you know, in addition to, you know, those learnings from all those pavilions, I think, uh, you know, the learnings from the various sessions that we were that we're in, right? And I, I'd love to to listen to the, the small uh, countries, the SIDS, the small island developing states, make their their comments. And I was just struck, uh, I, I mentioned this one to you while we were there, Andy, the, the president of Palau, who was referencing his comments from last year about climate change, in, in which he said, you know, in terms of Palau's experiences, you might as well have bombed us. That was the impact of, uh, that's the impact of climate change. Uh, and he noted that, you know, as they try to recover from COP, they're being drawn and quartered by extreme storms and sea level rise and extreme drought. Um, and they're in danger of losing their, their tourism uh, industry as a result, which is so central to their economy. So um, I think it's really important to hear these, you know, and embrace these stories from the front line. You know, these countries seem very distant. Their problems seem far away. But we need to overcome that distance gap, right? Because these countries aren't responsible for what they're experiencing. And, you know, further, what they're going through is in, indicative of, of what's going to spread to other nations. So I think that's that's really important. Steve, thanks very much for talking. Thank you so much, Andy. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this special episode of the Energy Policy Now podcast recorded at COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. Check out Energy Policy Now on the Kleinman Center website on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to keep up with research and events from the Kleinman Center, visit our website. Thanks for listening to Energy Policy Now and have a great day.